Hi, this is Dr. Sean Handorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert, and this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Are you sick of dieting and fixating on the scale? You know it's not helpful, but you're unsure what else to focus on? Or maybe you're sick of feeling pulled in a million directions and stressed about all the things you are not doing, even though you know on a logical level you are doing a lot of different things. Do you ever fall into the trap of thinking that moving away from dieting means not being motivated or being undisciplined? I'm here to tell you that moving away from dieting is the very best way to cultivate lasting motivation for the things that matter in your life. When you're not focused on ineffective diet strategies, you free up time and energy to focus on things that truly matter. And that could be related to eating or movement or also other meaningful things in your life. Most notably, relationships and the people that matter. I know that you don't want to reach the end of your life having regrets. And the best way to do that is to clarify what truly matters to you. So I should know, I spent 13 years of my life doing all the good diets, quote unquote, under the sun. And I, what did I have to show for it? Not much, a whole host of completed food journals, mostly just weight gain and a lot of stress and truly a loss of belief in myself. So if you're ready to ask the question, what should I be focused on? It's time to take that first step, getting super clear on what matters to you right now. This is the number one strategy I hear over and over that is most helpful in developing the right type of motivation. So have you done it yet? I do this exercise at least twice a year now, particularly when I'm feeling a little lost or directionless or less than motivated to do the things I want to do. So grab my free guide to get started at drhondorp.com forward slash goals. That's D-R-H-O-N-D-O-R-P dot com forward slash goals. There, I'll walk you through the step-by-step process to get started on clarifying what matters to you and where you should be focusing your attention during this season of your life. It's never too late to stop dieting and truly start living. And before we dive into today's episode, just a reminder that this podcast and blog are for informational and educational purposes only and are never to be construed as any form of medical nutritional, or any form of professional advice. If you are struggling, please always reach out and consult with a professional who can help guide you with how this information can apply to you and your situation. 
Hey everyone, Dr. Hondorp here, and I am excited to be talking to you today and doing a little bit of a different episode. What I want to do today is fill you in on some of the things going on in my world um, and, and talk a little bit about what the podcast will look like in the next couple weeks and why I decided to do that. And really ultimately what I've learned and what I'm continuing to learn and apply about how to create lasting change. So we're going to be talking a little bit about my recent experiences with, I would say, balancing being a new entrepreneur and my life. And unfortunately, we've had a lot of personal stressors going on recently, more so than I've really ever been hit with in my life at one time. And it's been a challenge and I'm, I've learned a lot already, but I'm definitely still learning, but I want to share some of the things that I've been learning and how it applies to behavior change in general, how it applies to your relationship with food and probably some of the parallels that you might be doing in terms of trying to force yourself to change versus allowing change to happen and creating and making space so that truly lasting change can take root. And that's what we all want, right? So this is, I think, going to be a fun episode. I'm a little nervous. I think anytime I talk a little bit more about myself, it always is like eh, a little bit uncomfortable, but that is okay. Um, so like I said, we're going to talk a little bit about some updates, um, things going on in my world with uh, family and friends. There's just been a lot going on. Um, and also, I'm going to talk about some of the things that I've done in the last few months. I've really been going down a rabbit hole of how to work smarter, not harder. And I'm going to share some of the things that I found really helpful and how you can do the same. I think this is really applicable to like everything that we do, eating exercise and also just work-life balance and most problems you're trying to solve. We want to look at, uh, we're, we're in a hustle and grind culture, right? So we have to kind of take a different approach if we want to achieve more ease and sustainability and peace in our life. So we're also going to talk about why we often need to slow down and create space to create true and lasting change. And this is something that I have apparently really been struggling with because uh, as I'll dive into, I love what I do now. I love my business. I love this podcast and blog so much and slowing down is very challenging for me. I always knew it was a little hard for me, but whew, I really had to make some contact with some of my stuff. So I'll tell you about that. And I'm also going to give you a little overview or a little reflection on our August digital declutter. So we read, well, I read digital minimalism uh, and I found it really, I've also been a book club that read this book and um, some of us did what we called an August digital declutter for the month of August. We took away optional screens. So in the month of August, you would have seen me posting on social media, like my regular posts, but those were posted through the computer and they were scheduled in advance. And so I wasn't, I didn't have any social media on my phone. I only used 
screens as needed for the business. And we didn't watch TV for that month. Although I'll tell you that it didn't last the full month because of all the things that happened in her life. So we, we did the digital declutter in a flexible way. So I will fill you in on all of those things today. So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to, to give you a little bit of a insider glance on what's going on. And, and again, why, um, the, what kind of the next few weeks look like for the podcast. So settle in, I got my coffee here and I'm excited to chat with you guys. So I think the first thing that I want you to consider is how good are you at noticing your own signs of stress or impending burnout? And, you know, we all have different signs of stress. They might be physiological. Like for me, a lot of times it's sort of chest tightness or stomach tension or kind of pain in your stomach or mild pain. A lot of times it's in my chest though, or for me, it's also feeling very like scattered or feeling just pulled in a million directions. I don't really work very effectively like that. I don't know if anyone truly does. They might feel like they do, um, but I know that I really don't. Um, you might get irritable. You might feel more down or depressed. You might feel unfocused. And for me, I also notice a lot of behavioral things. Like I focus heavily on things I can control and I get more irritable and angry when it doesn't go the way that I want. So like some of the stressors we've had have been like, okay, well, I just have to work harder. And it's like that just, it's a, it's just something that I feel like I can control. And so I want to share with you today something that you probably know, but like pushing harder, faster, stronger, we are told in our culture that that is the way to go. Um, that is the way to achieve your goals. And I mean, I have bought into this my whole life. I have pushed really hard and I've always been like, well, I'm going to just push right through and then one day I'll be able to relax. And so I've had some periods of my life where I've let myself relax a little bit. Ironically in grad school, that was sort of a period of time where I had worked really hard to get into grad school and I did relax in grad school. Like I had fun. I had a lot of friends that weren't in my program that I made some really, truly lasting friendships with. I joined running groups. So I know that there's benefits to periods of time where you aren't pushing as hard, but I was still pushing pretty hard. And essentially what has happened over the last uh, two months, I'd say in mid-July, things started a lot of stressors happen and I won't go into all of it because it's not really that relevant, but basically there was a lot of loss, a lot of new diagnoses of people that we love. Um, my grandfather, my last grandparent who was 96 passed away and that was very hard. Um, I'm super grateful of course, and just very privileged to have had my grandparents as long as I did, but it was hard, of course, to, to have that loss. And then really things kind of took off from there. We had a vacation that went very badly. Uh, the vacation was filled. I was already pretty burnt out going into the vacation. And then I went into this vacation and just from day one, we were driving the two hour drive to Indiana Dunes National Park and got a flat tire or well, a nail in the tire. 
I mean, it just took off from there. Urgent care, locked out of the Airbnb, um, peeing the bed. Like, every night was something, every day was something. We ended up leaving early, and it was kind of funny looking back, but you're like, okay, that was not restorative at all. And one of my neighbors recently said, that's not a vacation. Vacation with kids is not a vacation. It's a trip. So I will say, I think my kids had fun for the most part. So that's good, right? But unfortunately, yeah, we keep getting hit. So since we got back from vacation, there's been new diagnoses, some really serious injuries of loved ones. Um, and I was already at a place with the business where I was like, okay, you're new in business. You're doing a lot. It's probably not that efficient. You're doing too much at once. And I knew that. And so since April, I have been, like I said, down this rabbit hole of how to work smarter, not harder. I am in a business training that talks about working harder, smarter, not harder. I, it's called um, Run Like Clockwork, and there's a book. If you happen to be in business or ever want to be in business, it's great. It's been a great program. I've been talking with a lot of colleagues about doing the same thing. I've been brainstorming, um, but it's hard in your first year of business. There's a lot you want to do and try and see what works. So. I've kind of known that the pace hasn't been sustainable, but I have one-on-one -on -one clients, I have the podcast and blog, and now I have three amazing interns that um, are great. Shout out to Julia, Sonia, and Grace. They're wonderful, but it's also figuring out how to be a leader in that way. I took on a lot of things, and I'm looking, I'm doing some webinars and speaking, and there's a lot going on. Um, and that is, and that's not to mention the body respect program, the online program. So yeah, like you, like I said, took on a little much, uh, which, you know, I knew, but it, it felt sustainable for some reason. I think just cause I'd never done it before. And I think I underestimated all the decision fatigue of owning a business. And so basically since April, April, I was working a massive amount of hours per week, which is really not typical for me. Um, so when I, in the past seven-ish years, I had worked for a large hospital system and I had really quite a good balance. I was, I had achieved that balance um, at the end of my training and it was great. And I don't know about you guys, but the idea of like feeling like a workaholic, uh, I don't identify as a workaholic, but I think someone, some people could sort of make that argument, um, that I push myself pretty hard. And I actually have a lot of shame tied up with feeling like I might be a workaholic because to me, the working, being a workaholic means you're not focused on the things that matter. You're not focused on, um, now, even before having kids, I felt like this. Um, I actually remember someone once told me like, you're really career focused. And I almost got like offended and because almost it was like saying I didn't, I don't even know exactly what message I was interpreting. Maybe that I'm just like too career focused. And I don't even think this person was saying that, but I was like, no, I'm not, which is like, you're pretty career focused and that's fine. Right. It's being able to, to sort of accept that it's okay to be focused on achievement oriented 
goals, but ultimately only you can decide sort of what, what matters to you and, and what you value. And so that's where I've leaned very heavily on. I know I talk in the podcast about values clarification and how important it is to me. And I truly do do that regularly. So that is something I've tried to do very regularly over the past several months. And especially with everything going on the last two months, I would say all these losses, you know, they're, they're very hard. And also they remind us what matters, right? They remind us that at the end of your life, the, you're not going to wish you worked more, right? You're going to wish that you spent more time with loved ones and that you reached out more and that you cultivated relationships like this. We are social beings. We are wired for connection. That is why we're here. And so usually when I have people do values clarification, I encourage them to focus on those things first. So usually I have people kind of map out three main areas of valued domains, and I encourage them to put sort of health um, as it relates to the other two. So not just health, but like, why does your health matter to you? And that's where it can be so powerful. So anyways, I, you know, I tried to practice what I preach, right? That is the goal. And I would say, you know, in terms of how this, my relationship with food, the great news is I think a lot of people are like, do you ever get to the point where you're kind of like there with your relationship with food? I'm sure everyone's journey is different. I feel like I'm pretty much there and that I don't ever pressure myself or really beat myself up about that. Um, I guess I probably do at times. It's more in the form of like, you're not cooking at home enough for your family. Like you're not, it's, it's more actually just tied to like, you're spending too much time at work. And so it's tied up with that for me. Um, so I don't think there's a lot of pressure that I put on myself to like be good when it relates to food at all, which is very freeing and and lovely. That's one of the reasons I do this work is because I want that for you. But I do think that I sort of put pressure on myself at times that, but the ultimately when I am, you know, cooking more, I feel good. I feel excited to be doing that. I feel more like myself. And that actually has taken a lot of time to get there to actually like, I've sort of talked about that, uh, in this, on this podcast, because I don't pressure myself to cook, but I sort of been able to create an environment without pressure that I gradually learned to like it over time. So I want to reflect on this concept of it's okay to slow down and how much sort of resistance that I have to that and that you may have as well, particularly as it relates to your relationship with food. But we have to be really clear on what we're slowing down. Like what part are we allowing ourselves to slow down with? Is there places in your life where maybe you're truly just doing too much and we have to figure out some way to create more space for you to get more in touch with your body and your emotions, because there's usually a lot of fear there and that is normal. But one of the things that I've been reflecting on as I've done this work and, you know, the podcast has been a source of immense joy and learning for me because I get to talk to people about these topics and really reflect on how we create true change. And it's interesting because I have, um, I actually did a 
interview with a physical therapist, Emily, uh, and that one's going to come out in a few more weeks still. But it was interesting to hear her reflect on, she's um, actually younger than me, but she was reflecting on the more she does, the work she does, she does pelvic floor physical therapy, she has worked on being more flexible and not worrying about checking all the boxes of her assessments and giving all the strategies and all the exercises and just creating more space for people to share their stories. Sometimes that's related to sort of their pregnancy or birth story. And she's seeing over and over her work being more effective in that way. And uh, episode, I believe, 16 with Anique Besso, where we talked about her work as a dietitian, working from a health at every size framework, and how she works so hard to just create a safe space for people to explore maybe some of the pain they experienced with whether diet culture or weight bias or shaming. But this is how true change happens. And it may be uncomfortable for us, right? Because I think even as therapists or helpers, we want to give all the strategies. We want to come in and offer the right solution. And that's great. I mean, I think when we talk about relationship with food, I think there absolutely is a point to figuring out what's effective, right? And so in, in this particular work, I think the most effective thing you can do is figure out how to wrap your head around unhooking from the weight loss focus and allowing your body to sort of naturally return to its natural signals where it can actually get in touch with itself or you can actually notice what's going on with your body or you can regain that trust. But, so, I mean, I, I had found, like, if you're doing therapy and it's too weight loss focused or that might undermine your ability to make progress. That's why we always look at what other programs are you doing? What other things are going in your life? Because it can create this pressure because there's so much weight loss pressure already in our society. We want to remove that pressure. So again, I was reflecting on all these people that I've interviewed. The more we create space, the more change occurs. And that is definitely consistent with my experiences as a therapist, because we know in psychotherapy literature that change occurs because of the relationship with your therapist. You know me, I love research. I love evidence-based strategies. I love helping people to understand how our brains work, how we try to jump out of pain, why we do that. But ultimately, the research shows very clearly it's much less about the specific strategies used. And there's, you know, maybe some exceptions, but for the most part, it's not about the strategies. It's about the safe space where you can show up to another human, express what you have going on, not be judged for that, and be able to explore what's going to work for you instead, and learning and growing over time. So this is very consistent with self-determination theory and what we talk about in this podcast, we have to look at, are we meeting people's key psychological needs? And this, I mean, this is really something that I've had to step back in. That's why I love self-determination theory because it is applicable to all areas. It's been studied in like almost every country in the world, almost every culture in the world. It fits. The model still fits. 
for not just health behaviors, eating and exercise, but for any behavior. And I certainly have applied it. That's why it's cool. Once you really learn to look at, ooh, where's the pressure coming from? Where's the should? Where's the shame? What's holding me back? You can move away from that towards that internal autonomous value-based change. And it isn't an easy fix, but it's a framework that very much works. But one of the things that I've noticed in, you know, business trainings, essentially, you know, my business, I'm doing a bunch of different things, but creating like kind of an online business, the podcast, the blog, um, kind of online program is really challenging for a lot of people. I know it's not just me because I, a lot of people struggle with it. And there's a lot of programs out there that teach you how to do it. They teach you how to like learn marketing copy and all these things, which is great. They'll be like, kind of sell it as like one, two, three steps. And then you'll, they don't necessarily promise the outcomes, but they can't, but they sort of imply that like, it'll get you this thriving business. And the reality is that no one can exactly tell you what to do. And I think that that, again, has a lot of parallels to the relationship with food peace. And there's a lot of people out there that'll tell you, this is the exact thing you have to do. But ultimately, I, you know, you can learn from other people. You can definitely learn from other people and you can see how they've applied it and you can think about how that's going to apply to your life, but you have to tailor it to yourself. And so that's where, you know, for my relationship with food, what that looked like for me, you can learn from my story, definitely. But it's still going to be how that applies to you. We're all different. We have different biology and physiology, but we also have different preferences. And it's, I'm always much more interested in how is someone thinking and feeling about their relationship with food versus what they're actually eating. So you guys know me at at this point, like I'm always, this is part of the problem. I'm so passionate about this that I'm always like listening and learning and like reading different stories. And that's why I'm kind of burning out. And that's why I'm slowing down and creating space. And I'll talk about that in a second, just how I'm going to do that. But I was listening to this guy um, tell his story about, I think he had lost a good amount of weight. He was doing, it was a Forks Over Knives meal planner like webinar. And he was doing a pretty, yeah, it was pretty rigid sort of whole food plant-based diet, but he had maintained his weight for like nine years. So I'm always, and it was like a good amount of weight. It was like over a hundred pounds, I think. I was interested in that, not because... I think weight loss is like good or that you should pursue it. But I have a lot of people that like want, you know, I want to support autonomy. So I want to understand how do people get there? And I will say that this guy, he had a way more rigid eating plan that I think most people would want. I, I shared, I do a decent portion plant-based, but I have zero interest in doing it rigidly. And I, I know a lot of people that feel the same. Some people don't want to do any meals, whole food plant-based, which for us, it's just a good fit because not only do we feel good, but I've always just like not loved meat. I mean, I do eat meat. I eat like the poorest quality meat there is, which is just funny. So I'm like vegan and then I like love pepperoni pizza and like hot dogs. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it is what it is. So, but this guy, the way he talked about his choices were very internally based. So this is where self-determination theory for me makes so much sense. And I still 
I, I have followed this theory and I've talked about it with people for many, many years, but now that I'm in my own practice, I just can do things exactly the way that I want to do it. And it's, it's very freeing and very positive and it just fits. So I think if you're like, can you be anti-dieting and still follow like a pretty strict plan and be autonomously motivated, meaning internally motivated? I think you can. And this guy seems to have found a way to like, he really feels like he's making the best choice for him. And he doesn't, I don't think feel, he doesn't sound like he feels very pressured to do it. Maybe he's not being honest with himself. And I was kind of like, maybe I should bring this guy on the podcast. So maybe down the road, (laughs) after way down the road, again, giving myself space. But anyways, these are sort of just my rambling thoughts. But that's where I, I get very frustrated with people when they come with this rigid idea of like, this has, anti-dieting has to look like this. No, to me, anti-dieting, intuitive eating, health at every size, de-emphasizing weight allows us to have flexibility to choose what works for us. And so, um, and then when I say de-emphasizing weight, it doesn't mean pretending it doesn't matter because most of the people that I work with will be like, um, uh, it does matter to me. And they'll, we'll talk about the reasons why, and we'll sort of unpack it. But ultimately it's sort of weighing the pros and cons of if you're going to focus on making significant lifestyle changes, making sure you're paying attention to your emotional well-being and making sure that those cons don't outweigh, you know, any of the pros of change. So, all right. So basically, let me tell you a little bit about our August digital declutter, kind of what it taught me. Um, I would say this is a little bit this is on topic because it is about creating space, but it's a little bit different, but I thought it was really interesting because the digital minimalism book to me is very balanced. It's not, I mean, I guess it comes across a little bit as like you need to get off devices, but to me, it talked about it in a way that I thought really supported autonomy and you, the digital declutter is sort of like create space where you're not using screens so that you can decide what you want to add back in, which I really liked. Like it wasn't like, you can't do this. And like I said, we had a lot of flexibility because we got hand, foot and mouth. And then we were like, okay, we will be watching TV for the last little bit of the month because we do not feel good. And the kids were fine. And the parent, my husband and I did not feel well. So, and we were home and we didn't have any help. So we, we ended it early, but I think we still learned a lot and we're not, I have not added social media back on my phone. So again, It's all about, to me, autonomy. For me, technology was starting to feel very not like a choice. I was feeling sort of addicted to it. I was feeling like I had to pick up my phone, and I felt very badly about that. So it was about just creating space to evaluate what works and what doesn't work. And in terms of that's sort of my very broad (laughs) overview about what we did there, but even it was really cool. So my uh, we usually watch TV before bed. And my daughter did a good job of adjusting to not doing that, even though she put up a little bit of like a, wait, why are we not doing this? But I gave her a heads up and instead of walking, we like, we're sort of like, what are we going to do with ourselves? Right? So she and I started doing girl walks where we'd walk around the neighborhood and she and I would just walk and kind of talk and 
at that time around then too, my grandfather died. And so we talked about things that we missed about him and it was cool. Like I had no idea what we were going to use that time for. So it just shows when you create some space, cool things can happen. So I do highly recommend that book. I highly recommend it has some interesting parallels too, with how we think about like addictive behavior. And, and again, I keep saying I'm going to talk about food addiction at some point, sort of the controversy about that term, but essentially the way I think of it is like, is it helpful to you? Does it support you respecting yourself and your body? Um, I wouldn't say I was addicted to my phone, but I did feel like, eh, I don't feel so good about this behavior. So I'm going to make some changes so that I no longer feel like I need to pick up my phone and check my apps all the time. And I love not having them on my phone. And so that'll probably be a long-term change. So in terms of creating space for myself with everything going on, um, I will need to be more available to help out with some family stressors going on. And also I just, this is a long time coming. I needed to create more space within the podcast, get a little ahead. I work really well when things are ahead versus um, sort of rushed. So after this episode, we'll still come out with weekly episodes, but we're going to have some uh, replays of the first four foundational episodes, which I think is really great. Even though the perfectionist in me wants to redo them, they're, the content's still really good. The sound quality just is like eh, sort of mediocre. Um, so I'll still do a little intro before the episodes. This is going to take you back to the basics of self-determination theory, what we're talking about here why your three key psychological needs matter so much for long-term sustainable change, and then what are the types of motivation and how do we move away from external shoulds towards internal choice-based motivation. So it's going to be, I think, a really great review, all super relevant. And again, the more that I do this work from this model, the more convinced I am that this is a very helpful way to think about it because there isn't one right way to eat. There isn't one right way to move. There isn't one right way to create work-life balance. It's going to take time and work and it's uncomfortable, right? Like I think even as I'm like creating this podcast and creating this plan for the next couple of weeks, I'm like, Ooh, I don't know. Like, as I think it's uncomfortable to be in this place where you're like, I don't really know exactly how this is going to work yet. And I feel like I still have work to do, um, but I'm going to keep pushing, but not in a pressuring way. I'm going to keep sort of keeping myself accountable to what matters. And for me right now, that is keeping myself accountable to creating a sustainable balance for my life, particularly with everything going on. And for you, that might look like, how do you keep looking at your relationship with food perhaps the pain that's underneath your relationship with food in a way that's sustainable, not too overwhelming. Um, we can almost try to force it. I, I know I've done this with grief in the past few months where you're like, let me just force it. If I could just cry and get it out and then I can move on. It's like, well, that's not really how it works, right? Sometimes we have to create the space and let it happen. So the other day I, um, we were supposed to be traveling today actually. So I had some time and that's why I'm kind of catching up with the podcast. But yesterday I had some time and I just watched a show. Um, I watched uh, the morning show, one episode, and it wasn't even anything about the show. It was something about like just taking that space and just sitting on the couch and watching a show, which I haven't done in a while. Um, 
then I was allowed, I was able to sort of connect with my emotions and some of the grief and like, all right, well, that worked out, but I wasn't trying. Sometimes we have to just create the space and let it occur when it's ready, which is really hard. So in terms of some ideas about how to create lasting change and space, you know, when I say create space, what I'm talking about is maybe often it is turning off our phones sometimes, or at least getting away from our phones, maybe turning off the TV, even podcasts, even if you're always listening to something like I often am, maybe on your walk or during uh, laundry, you take a break and pause and just sort of be with your thoughts. That was the other thing I learned from digital minimalism is we are never alone with our thoughts anymore because we're always checking our phone. And there was a lot of value in being alone with your thoughts. And the book does a really good job of explaining why that is. Mindfulness is this, right? Like mindfulness meditation or just being in the present moment is really effective in improving pretty much every symptom. And we should probably all be practicing in a variety of ways. So mindfulness really just means practicing being in the present moment non-judgmentally. You can be mindful of internal states like noticing the thoughts you're having, your emotions, labeling them without judgment, saying I'm having the thought that I have so much to do instead of just I have so much to do, I have so much to do, or I'm having the emotion of anxiety and labeling it, remembering that you are not your thoughts, you are not your emotions, you are a person who has thoughts and emotions. You can also practice mindfulness of external things. I highly recommend walking outside, ideally in nature. That's another thing that the book talks a lot about. In fact, our kids, we took our kids um, on some nature walks and just like let them play. And that was really cool. Um, nature's not overly, it's like the perfect amount of stimulation. So, but you can also be mindful of doing just daily activities like showering, washing the dishes, laundry, noticing, the feeling of the water on your skin, smells. And remember that mindfulness is not not thinking or feeling calm. It's just being present. So if you have a million different thoughts, that's fine. As long as each time you notice, oh, I had this thought, bring it back to whatever you're being mindful of, whether it's your breath or the activity. So, and of course, creating lasting change requires finding non-judgmental support. This can be family, friends, a therapist, a counselor, a coach, someone who's going to hold that space for you so that you can figure out the change that you need to implement in your life. So I would love to hear from you. Where do you need to create more space in your life and how are you going to do it? So I'm going to do it by kind of recycling some of these episodes that I think are very valuable to you and bringing those to you in the next four weeks. And then after that, I will come back with, I have three interviews that have been recorded that are excellent, but I wanted to give myself space to do them more slowly so I can give them the time and energy they deserve. So I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to be continuing to look at ways I can work smarter, not harder. And I hope you will do the same. So send me a message on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness or tag me in a post and let us know how you are creating space for change for yourself in the next month. And this could look like a whole bunch of different things, but 
how are you going to block off some space? Maybe, maybe you're going to get away from technology. Maybe you're going to grab digital minimalism. I don't know, but you let me know. Okay. Can't wait to hear from you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your support. And I look forward to talking with you soon. If you're anything like me, you may at times really feel like there's so much pain in the world that it's pretty overwhelming. And even though I do my best to avoid the news, it's hard to avoid feeling helpless at times that you can't do anything to make positive change. Well, I'm here to tell you that there's one positive change that I've made in terms of where I buy my books, and I'd invite you to do the same. Bookshop is a website that supports local bookstores near you, as well as affiliates that work with them. So if you buy through the Bookshop link, you're going to be supporting local bookstores near you in the U.S. and Canada, and you're going to be supporting my blog and podcast. It's kind of like a tip jar. Did you know that if nothing slows their momentum, Amazon will have about 80% of the book market by the end of 2025? Look, I have Amazon Prime, I love the convenience, but this is a super cool way that you can do something positive with where you buy your books and support some really positive causes. Make sure you check it out. You can find all of my favorite books about health and wellness, but also about topics like courage, vulnerability, and even some of my favorite fiction and kids books for the times when you just need some fun, downtime, or some meaningful stories. My recent favorite is related to improving the quality of our lives and the way we use technology and really doing so from a value-based place. No pressure. It's not going to tell you that technology is bad. It's just going to help you to evaluate for you where the pros outweigh the cons and where they don't. So if you believe in supporting local, controlling the things that you can, please consider buying your books through Bookshop and through the Psychology of Wellness link. You can find that in the show notes or you can go to drshawnhondorp.com. That's D-R-S-H-A-W-N-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash bookshop. Thank you for tuning in today. Your time is valuable and it means so much to me that you're here. Despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. Change is hard and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful. Grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.